good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn tonight in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. We I come tonight to uh, what is probably the best known story uh, concerning Elisha and his life and ministry. I come to the account of, of Naaman. I trust that God will bless it. It's familiar. Uh, things that are very familiar must be handled with great care. That is very much the case in the Word of God. Errors are made because we presume the text says something and we think we know it very well and we miss, we sometimes miss miss a truth that God would teach our hearts again. So I pray that that will be our case tonight and in the weeks to come. Uh, but God will help us to work right through uh, these verses together. Second uh, Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Amen. May God bless his word to your hearts uh, tonight. Generally, when the children will think of the story of Naaman, they will think about the man that dipped himself seven times in the Jordan and came up clean of his leprosy. That's what we associate the story with. It is about this man and his obedience eventually to the purpose of God, leading to the cleansing of his body from leprosy. But there is an internal work in this man's heart. The external act upon his body is well known, but perhaps less well considered is the internal work of God in his heart. And it goes far as to say that the bodily healing is not the most important event in the story. More important than physical healing is the saving of this man's soul. In verse 1, he is a great and important and wealthy sinner. But by verse 19, he has come to hear the blessing of God and the peace of God upon his soul. In New Testament terms, he's been saved by the grace of God. It's a reminder to us again of our priorities personally and in our priorities in the place of prayer. The healing of the body is secondary to the importance of the healing of the soul. Oh, Naaman, he sought the healing of the body, but God gave him much more than he sought, and God was pleased to save his never-dying soul. It is my conviction that verse 15 and following do show evidence of a man who's come to be saved in his soul. 
And he says there in the verse 15, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's a very, a very dramatic statement for a man at that time when there was a prevailing notion that every region had their own gods. And he's saying, No, there is only one God, and that is the God in Israel. And then at the end of verse uh, number 17, he says that he will sacrifice neither burnt offering unto any other gods, but only unto the Lord, only unto Jehovah, where he offered his sacrifices and his offerings. In other words, he's confessing Jehovah to be the only one true and living God. Uh, like the Thessalonican believers, he's turned from idols to serve the true and living God. He's living in the fear of God. He's a desire to know the blessing of God. He wants to know the favor of God. That's a sense of his heart here. And indeed, he's then given the seal from the man of God, go in peace. He's got the shalom blessing of the prophet as he makes his way from Elisha's company. So what you see here in this chapter is a Gentile pagan who's been converted to become a follower of Jehovah. And what I want to do tonight is I want to reflect upon the events in this story in light of our Savior's reflection on this story. So turn briefly to Luke chapter 4. Uh, and we, we will come back a number of times, I think, to this chapter, and we'll see various aspects that I think will be instructive to your soul. But I thought, well, at least begin with, let's take the time to think about what Christ taught regarding this story. In Luke chapter 4, you have the record of Christ coming to his own region, and he makes the assertion in verse 24, and no prophet is accepted in his own country. In other words, Christ is coming to his own, but he's experiencing rejection. And as he then reflects upon that rejection, he tells an account, verse 25, of the many widows in Israel in the days of Elias, in other words, Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. And then in verse 27, he reflects not this time upon Elijah's ministry, but Elisha's. And he says, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha's, the prophets, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. In the context of the company's rejection of Christ, Christ uses the record of Naaman to show the sovereign, free grace of God. How God chooses to save one out of a multitude of lepers. God chooses sovereignly to save one, one Gentile leper, in the context of the widespread rejection of the living God by the people of Israel. They had given themselves to Baal. And in the context of rejection, God sovereignly chooses to put his love upon one Gentile sinner. And so the application is not missed by the hearers. Verse 28, And all them in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They got the point that Naaman was a rebuke to their rejection. They were just like the Baal worshippers in Elisha's day. And in the context of rejection, God is pleased to sovereignly, freely set his love upon one man, one leper, out of a multitude of lepers. 
And hence, I want to look at this account in Second uh, Kings chapter 5 in light of that application by Christ. That it is a, a demonstration of God's sovereignty in the salvation of a sinner. That's what you see here. You see a man saved by grace alone. First of all, note that there is a sovereign selection. Sovereign selection in God's salvation. He, Naaman, is saved because God freely chose to save him. Period. That's it. Naaman is saved because God freely, sovereignly chose to save him. That is the conclusion that Christ makes when he reflects upon this story. It's not an implication of the text forced by Calvin or some other Puritan or Reformer. It is what our blessed Savior draws out of the passage that there were many lepers. But God chose to deal with Naaman alone. He was a Gentile. He was a stranger to the covenants of promise in the language of Ephesians chapter 2. He's one who is afar off. He has no heritage, no Bible, no covenant privilege to lay hold upon, to say, well, therefore, he merited, he merited God's attention. None of those things are in Naaman's favor. He has nothing to merit favor with God. Oh, yes, you may look at verse number one and say, well, clearly he's an impressive man. Uh, Naaman's name itself means handsome. He's a man of dignity. He's captain of the host. He's a great man with his master. He's a man of honor and courage, likely a man of no insignificant wealth. But God has not chosen Naaman because Naaman will be of great use to God. And to draw that out would be to go against other plain texts of Scripture, like 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things, to confound the things that are mighty. The text itself in verse 1 of 2 Kings 5 reads actually to emphasize his unworthiness. You read down through the text and you get the fact he was a great man, an honorable, a mighty man in valor. But then it ends. But he was a leper. And it's interesting, our authorized uh, version the translators there have supplied those three words, but he was. It's almost like you get the, the, the sense in the original, a mighty man in valor, and then there's a prolonged pause. You just, you're, you're left hanging there, as it were, and then you have this simple assertion, a leper. It's in contrast to all of these great things, and you have the fact that he's a leper, which of course in the context meant he was defiled in the sight of God. Had no right or privilege into the access of God's presence. He was one who was excluded and afar off. Afar off as a Gentile and afar off because of his defiled condition. And the point of the text, when you think of what Christ says, is that God's election of sinners is utterly undeserved and is fully unconditional. We are chosen according to sovereign grace. Romans 9, he has mercy on whom he has mercy. 
Why not this leper or that leper? Why not the one down the corner? Why would it have to be Naaman? Because God chose it to be so. That may make us feel uncomfortable, but that is how Christ applies the text. Many lepers, but only Naaman. Not because of some foreseen worthiness, but simply because of the free and sovereign election of God. Christ thought of Naaman, and he saw God's electing grace. A rebuke to the Baal-loving, privileged Jew. God left them in their sin and called Naaman. I sometimes fear when we reflect, uh, reflect upon 40 years plus of the free church in this continent, how many children and young people have been raised under faithful ministry and they've chosen to turn their back on the gospel and go their way of the devil and reject their privilege. And God consistently saves sinners who had no Bible background, no privilege, nothing at all, but God chooses freely to save them as a display of the sovereignty of his grace. Oh, we believe, of course we believe in the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. But young people, I encourage you to think about Naaman. I encourage you to think about Christ's application because Naaman was used as a rebuke to those who were raised in privilege but turned their back against the gospel. And Naaman's used to rebuke their unbelief. And may God rebuke perhaps some of you here who are living in unbelief. You have much privilege, but your heart is hard against the gospel. You have much in the way of blessing, but you refuse to accept the God of Naaman. May Naaman rebuke our souls. But of course, those of us who are saved, it is always important day by day to consider afresh the sovereignty of God and our salvation. The hymn writer's chosen not for good in me, wakened up from wrath to flee. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. We're sang the hymn, how sweet and awful is the place. And you have the, the reference, while we admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come, why was I caused to hear? Why was I caused to come? Only by God's free and sovereign grace. I remember singing that hymn as an 18-year-old. Standing around a, a piano in a church and a group of young people were singing these hymns and we, we sang this hymn and I remember the, I remember the tears in my eyes and I, and I reflect back many years later and I wonder, have I lost the appreciation of God's sovereignty? Do we not become complacent? 25 plus years of salvation. Look what I've offered to God. Surely I, I merited salvation back then. No, I didn't. None of us did. Well, the thing is, the longer we are saved, the tendency is that a proud spirit can creep in upon our souls because we, we, we serve the Lord. We do that which is good and we presume, oh, well, 20 years later, surely now I've done enough. 
that I've proven myself to be worthy of God's favor, may we never ever go far away from this simple truth. We are saved because God sovereignly, freely chose to save us. Deeply humbling. And it must always strike our souls. We only are who we are by the grace of God. And the second thing we note, though, in this is the sovereign scope of God's salvation. Because here we see that God, he chooses at this time to deal largely with the Jewish nation in the Old Testament. Christ's point that angers the Jews in Luke chapter 4 is that God's saving purposes are not restricted. There's a sovereign scope of God's salvation. In other words, God will freely choose whoever he chooses to save. He's not restricted by any ethnic boundaries. He's not restricted by anything outside his own sovereign will. God will set his love upon whomever he chooses to set his love upon. And so the Gentile, uh, like Naaman, he is those described in Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, yes, we were without Christ, aliens from the come of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The free and sovereign grace of God will save Gentiles as well as Jews. I'm not going to stop there tonight. That's something to think about and reflect upon. But it is something to inform our minds as we engage in missionary praying. That we would pray over the largeness of God's saving plan. Election and the doctrine of election should not make you pray in a narrow way. But rather, you should understand election to be sovereign in its scope as well as in its specificity. So it has individuals in mind, but it's also without boundaries. And so as we pray, we can pray large prayers. Large prayers, believing that God is freely able to choose to save whoever he chooses to save. And we pray in light of the largeness of God's heart. In the third place, though, here, we see some sovereign circumstances in God's salvation. The events here are glorious as they come together, uh, like conspiring together to bring Naaman to the point that he has no choice but to call upon the Lord. It's a wonderful set of providences. We see God's wisdom, God's sovereignty, and God's goodness. Naaman had leprosy. He had a Jewish maid through whom he heard the message of hope. He had access to the king of Syria, which led to the letter and to the contact with Elisha. He had leprosy. Without leprosy, he would have had no cause to go and find Elisha. He had a Jewish maid of all the maids. He had a Jewish maid. He had access to the king of Syria. And verse number one makes that very point. Look what it says. Naaman was in the position he was in because of the sovereignty of God. Can you see that? He was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given great deliverance. The Lord's at work in a huge battle 
And the Lord gives deliverance to Syria. And in so doing, promotes Naaman. Naaman is then in contact with the king. The king sends a letter. The king of Israel trembles and fears. Elisha comes into place. And look what happens. The man comes to trust Jehovah as the one true and living God. It's a wonderful story. And boys and girls, glory in the wisdom and the sovereignty of God. You look at the events here, and we, we, are, we, are, we are really forced to behold and trust the mysterious providences of God. We're told in verse number two how the maid got to where she was. The Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive by the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. A marauding band of Syrians come into a village and snatch a young girl, probably less than 10 years old. You see, it's familiar, isn't it? It's a familiar story. It's horrific. A young girl is plucked away from her loving parents, brought into a strange land, probably brought to a marketplace, and sold to Naaman's wife to act as her servant. Can you imagine the parents? Can you imagine what they felt? Can you imagine their cries? Their anguish as their daughter is taken away from them. The strange and mysterious providence of God. You see, God said, watch over this little girl. While the parents undoubtedly had their hearts broken, God was in control of it all and had this little girl in his loving care. And she's in the place where God would use her to humble a proud and arrogant sinner. Many things that would cause questions and maybe confuse us. But God, who knows best, knows how to do what he wills to do. You see, in our, in our darkest days, God is doing his best works. And at times, we are confused by the problems of God, but we're reminded in this account to trust God's wisdom. Because God knows what he's doing in all things. We shouldn't waste the dark providences that bring us to God. God brings you to the places where we are. God uses this leprosy in this man's experience to, to bring him to the point of faith in Jehovah. We're amazed when we hear of the dark providences that bring people to faith and Yet we wonder why same events are ignored by others. <coughs> but Naaman was one who's afflicted and went astray. But after being afflicted, he's now kept the word of God. Sometimes we think, we presume that we see what God's doing. I don't think any parent could have ever begun to imagine what God was doing as their child was taken from their home. God is doing a thousand, a million things more than we can ever imagine. In his gracious and full, sovereign, providential rule of this world. You see, we must be bold. We must be humble. Who's to say that we would not be used as this little girl was in the sovereign providence of God? 
Who knows where your path will lead today or tomorrow? Who will come across your path? And simply in God's sovereign purposes, you may have to simply speak a word of hope. Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet. We, we can't save a single soul. But we can point them to the one who can. And God, in his sovereignty, often leads us into just the right place at just the right time. And so we see the sovereignty of God in the circumstances of this man's salvation. And finally, to close tonight, we see the sovereignty of God in his strength. God's sovereign strength in salvation. How many times have you read this story? How many times have you gone through your Bible and reflected upon it and rejoiced in it? The story makes no sense. Why would Naaman even listen to this young girl? Why would he go to the lengths he goes? I'd say he was, he was desperate, would try anything. Perhaps, but I'm not sure it gives an explanation for the events that happened. This account shows the power of God over a man's heart. The God who has the king's heart in his hand is the God who has all mankind in his hand. And the God who's able to so move the will of a hardened sinner that his stubbornness is overthrown. And he's turned away from paganism to the one true and living God. It wasn't easy for you to believe the gospel. Oh, you may have been raised in a Christian home. You may well have heard the gospel from you were, you were very young. But there were many in the very same situation who, as I've said, turned their back against the God of heaven. It was not easy for you to be saved as a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a 40-year-old. That wasn't easy. It required the sovereign, supernatural power of God over your hearts. For though once you were dead, you were quickened together with Christ. And that required nothing less than the sovereign power of God. And so Naaman, although he is many things, he is an emblem of God's sovereignty over the salvation of a sinner. And if this is true for Naaman, then it's true for any of us who've been saved by God's grace. Salvation is of the Lord, and to him belongs all the glory. May God cause us to be thankful that by his grace we were caused to seek Christ and to trust in his blood and be cleansed from our sins. May God bless his word to our souls tonight for his name's sake. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. 
A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.